ever been around a brand new mom or dad with a brand new baby? That excitement, uh, that first child, there's nothing quite like it. Uh, and, and my wife and I were talking with Savannah uh, last night over dinner. Uh, we were all sitting there and we were talking about, you know, uh, her plans and, and the next year of college and what that looks like. And, and we reminded her, you know, I said, uh, Savannah said, uh, Tana had you when she was 22 years old. And uh, we're starting to, you know, do all the math and, and the crazy thing. You know, she's getting ready to turn 19. I'm like, literally, I mean, she could be a, a parent. I could be a grandparent. And uh, in just a very short while. And, uh, and we're, you know, she was like, so I wasn't planned, you know. And we were like, hey, you know what? God's plan's always perfect. His ways are always perfect. And we trust in his plan. But, you know, you see a parent especially with that brand new, you know, first baby. Uh, she was the first grandchild on both sides of our family. And so there was really nothing that she wanted or needed that she didn't have because grandparents were gonna make sure that she had gotten what she needed. And there was just a certain excitement about that. But you ever see that first, that brand new baby and they're, they're so perfect and mom and dad are so excited. And there's like, oh, she's so perfect. He's absolutely perfect. He's there, she's beautiful. He's so cute. And I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one and I'm going to confess it because I'm here at church. But sometimes, I'm not going to lie, sometimes I'll look at a brand new baby and I'm like, I'm not seeing cute and perfect and, and all those things. I'm thinking, oh, this child is ugly. I mean, that child is not cute. I mean, you're like, you want to say something nice and you're like, oh, what a baby. What a baby. Uh, they're so up small they're so tiny and you're, you're you're trying to you're you know fighting for something to say because you're like wow I mean what in the world happened I mean or sometimes you know you're like you ever see like and I'm just going to be real throw it out there you, you see two people and you're like man they are not attractive people and they had the most beautiful child and then you'll see the most beautiful attractive couple and they have a troll you know and 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 so you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, how did that come from those two people? And you're, and I'm, I'm, I'm just saying what you're thinking, but anyway. But, uh, you know, sometimes we're thinking they're perfect. The reality is, is no child is perfect. In fact, my kids are not perfect. I, I said it a couple Sundays ago, just because I'm the pastor and, and uh, my wife says, the pastor's wife does not mean that we're perfect, that we have done everything perfect. Uh, we put our clothes on the same way you do. We go through the same struggles that you go through. Our kids go through the same trials and, and heartaches that your kids do. And so at the end of the day, you know, the Word of God tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. The Word says that, the Word of God says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This morning we're looking at, at, at reaching a prodigal and oftentimes... You, you look at that first little baby picture, and we saw some of those on the screen just a second ago, and we saw those graduates as, as they walked across the stage, and, and I was laughing at, at Jackson's little picture. I said, was it Chick-fil-A cow day? You were wearing a cow costume up there uh, on your, in your little child picture. It must have been free Chick-fil-A if you showed up in a cow costume. Who knows? But, you know, you look at those pictures, and, and you think, how cute, how perfect, how special. But no one ever thinks, you know what, my child's going to end up uh, going astray. They're going to end up going the way of the world. No one ever thinks that, you know, my child is going to become an addict or they're going to struggle with all types of, of problems and struggles and maybe end up spending time in, in prison. No one ever comes to that point and thinks that. 
as a new family, as a young family, as a young father. And, and, and thank God because we want to have confidence that God has a plan, that God has a purpose. And, you know, sometimes you, you think back on, you know, what is my child going to be like one day? You look at those pictures and you, you look at the, the, the five fingers on each hand and the, the five toes on each foot and you're, you're looking and, and you're seeing the, the similarities of, of each mom and each dad and you're seeing the things that are significant or, or temperaments that, oh, that's like, she's like her mother or he's like his father or whatever. You, you see those certain things and, and the certain characteristics of each child and you know, sometimes you look and that second toe is longer than the first toe and you're like, oh, that's dad. Or, or, or you know, the, the, the ears, or maybe the lobes are, are, are attached or they're unattached. And, you know, like that's dad or that's mom. And you'll see certain characteristics. Oh, that's a, a fry family trait or that's a, you know, whatever. You, know, you, you start adding it up and, and you figure out what the things are like. Sometimes you look at those pictures and you never think my child may end up struggling one day. The reality is, is so often in life, kids do go astray. Sometimes it's a period of time or a moment in time. And folks, the reality is God's word speaks truth into these moments of our lives. And as it promised, God's never promised our road would not be heavy. There would not be hills to climb. There would not be dark valleys and, and, and steep cliffs in front of us. But you see, if you study the Word of God, it gives wisdom and it speaks truth into our lives. And if you look at the Old Testament, there's a guy by the name of Samson. If anyone had it going on that should have turned out right, Samson is a young man who should have had been on the top of his game. He should have been at the, at the pinnacle of, of where young people are succeeding and thriving, getting all of the college scholarship opportunities, you know, moving up in the ranks of the military. He should have easily thrived in, in his situation. If there's anyone who had it going on as a young child, uh, some things you may not know about him, he was one of a half dozen people that have been born that had the touch of God on their lives. You look at all of the things that was mentioned about Samson in his life. He was one of three that divinely announced births. And he was one of only two people in all of Scripture was recorded. They were called by God before the day that they were actually even born. Samson had the hand of God on his life. And folks, if, if you start looking at, at, at what happened... Uh, all of the things that happened in his life, he had a great family. He had all sorts of advantages. The Word of God tells us he was stronger than an ox. And, and God was all over him. Great family, great parents. But he effectively broke every single Nazarite vow. Think about the, the embarrassment of the parents. The reproach on the, on the name of God. He struggled with lust. It would get him in trouble with women over and over and over, and eventually because of his sinfulness, his head was shaved bald, and uh, I was studying that this week. I'm like, my head is bald, but not because of choice. I uh, really, there weren't a whole lot of options at this point. I'm not going to become Charles Stanley with one hair, and you wrap it all the way around your head 50 times, but you know, he, his head was shaved. It was part of the, you know, as a Nazarite, he was not allowed to shave his head. He was struggled with all of these things. He was ultimately, his eyes were gouged out, he was paraded all throughout town, and literally, his actions were mocking God and his parents. 
But if anyone should have gotten it right, Samson had every opportunity going for him. Think of the Apostle Paul. He had all of the credentials, and yet he was fighting against God and God's people. And so today we're going to look at the perspective of a parent. Sometimes things don't always go the way that we want. When our kids go uh, and live outside of God's plan or God's purpose, or maybe our thoughts and our plans for our kids, it, sometimes we end up with a prodigal. But folks, the reality is, is God's word speaks into this moment and gives us clarity. And, and moments of, of, of hurt and pain as a parent, I want to encourage you this morning that with a, some encouragement in God's word, he does speak into truth into this very moment of our lives. God understands parental pain. He understands what it's like for your kids to go astray. And he understands more than anyone else, the parents hurt when a child goes astray. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, God is speaking of his own children, the nation of Israel. He says, children I've reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. God understands parental pain. Think of it for just a moment. Think about God's crown achievement in creation. God places Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. It doesn't get any better than the Garden of Eden. It doesn't get any easier than the Garden of Eden. God placed them in an absolutely perfect environment and gave them every resource in which to thrive in their relationship with God. They would often walk with God in the evenings and, and you could lay down with the animals. It was just a gorgeous day. All of the food and the, 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 uh, everything was organic. I mean, imagine, I mean, there was no sweat of the brow. There was no working hard. It was, it was just an easy life. God had put man in a perfect environment and yet we messed it up. God's crown jewel chose sin over a right relationship with God. Even though they were warned, if you eat of that, you're going to surely die. They chose to go the wrong direction. And folks, as we look at the Word of God, God's Word gives us clarity about this very moment. My wife and I have four kids. And, you know, uh, sometimes we often thought, you know, hey, how, what would it have been like if we'd only had one child or, or a couple of kids? We probably would have been uh, horrible parents if we just had those two because we probably thought man we've got this thing by the tail and then all of a sudden we ended up with twins on the third try and I mean it was almost like in a way like God was laughing and saying you think you've got it all figured out you think you've got this all wrapped together I'm going to give you a, a double blessing and you're going to you know you're going to have to learn to depend on me fully every step of the way and folks, that's the reality is we can't do it apart from God. You and I can't be the parents that God has called us to be apart from his Holy Spirit working within us, filling us, anointing us, and using us as his children. The statistics for pastor's kids turning out right are not the greatest. In fact, if we went around the room, we could probably all tell stories or I know of a pastor's kid it's gone crazy wild. I mean, I, and so it, it goes through your mind. Sometimes, you know, what must it be like? How difficult is it to raise kids that turn out right? What do you do when your own child runs from God? 
when they have a season of life where maybe they're not looking to God for strength and direction and they become the prodigal and, and maybe it's a, a, a friend's child or a family member that's gone astray and, and there are plenty of Christians, even adults today, who've turned their back on God. Maybe one day they were going on the right path and then they chose, it took a hard right or a hard left and, and chose a path away from God. What do we do when someone we love runs away from God? Let's look at a passage this morning where Jesus tells a story about a runaway son, and it's all, not all going to be about the prodigal son's passage. We're going to look at several different passages this morning. But in Luke chapter 15, it says in verse 11, he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, I want you to hang on because we looked at this passage not that long ago on a Sunday morning, but we'll be looking at it from a completely different perspective this morning as we look at what it means to, to uh, love a prodigal and to reach them where they are. What is it that God has as a purpose and a plan for us as parents, as, as a church family, to love those who have, are far from God and, and need that encouragement. They need to know that there are people that are loving them and praying for them and encouraging them towards a right relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning, as we look at this passage, we see the prodigal is someone who's off in a distant spiritual country. They've run far from God. And, and they said, you know what? All of this Jesus stuff... Christianity, church, I'm done with it. And they just kind of wash their hands, so to speak, and, and, and go their own path. And, and they may take for a season, say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of done with my parents' God, my parents' Christianity, my parents' religion. I don't buy it anymore. I'm not going to just do this because my mom and dad said it's, a tr it's true. And they're off in a distant country, spiritually speaking, other times it's a distant moral country and mom and dad have set certain parameters or rules and, and they're saying, you know what, I'm not going to listen. I don't have to listen. You're not the boss of me. Whenever we see a, a prodigal, almost every time you're going to see these three ingredients in their lives, prodigals generally become increasingly self-centered. Look at the, at, at the passage here in our story. Here's a guy who thinks he knows everything and you know what, I want to go ahead and get my inheritance now because I, I'm in the prime of my life. I'm 21. I have the world by the tail, so to speak, and I want to go ahead and get my own inheritance. I want to get a start on living my life the way I want to. They're focused on what's good for me, what's my plans. And, and, and mom and dad, I hate to say it, when a child gets in that mindset, they really aren't thinking about the future they're not thinking about long-term success. They're thinking about gratification of that very moment. They're thinking about living in, in the now. Prodigals also think that they know all the answers. You have an 18-year-old uh, son or daughter. There's certain, a certain thing about, you know, you get that diploma in your hand. You're like, man, I can do this. <laughs> I, I got that degree. I mean, I have enough uh, knowledge to be dangerous. I mean, and then you get a, a college degree, and I mean, man, you really are uh, out there because at the end of the day, you've got a college degree, 
And yeah, but you know absolutely nothing about living in the real world. <laughs> Everybody's parents use the term on them, as long as your head is under my roof and your feet are under my table, you're going to do what I say. And so there, there comes to a certain point where kids get the idea of like, boy, I know more than my parents. I think I can go out there and figure this thing out. I've got a plan. And there's no reality involved in this process. And then prodigals think they know all the answers. Prodigals also demand immediate gratification. Here is a, a young man who says, give me everything that's going to be mine. I want the inheritance now. And sometimes you see this on a registry when a, a couple's getting married and the things that they register for, you're thinking, I've been married for 40 years and don't have own half the stuff on there. Anybody else ever think that? Or you're looking on, I've, I've looked on people's registry and every item is like four or $500 on the registry. You're like, are the stores that they registered at, you're thinking, I can't shop there and I'm a grown man and I don't make enough money to shop there and you want me to buy you a present? You know, why don't you come back to earth and to reality and, and you know, and live in the real world and, you know, sometimes uh, even the, the slightest little thing, I mean, I'm trying to teach my kids when we're going out to eat, you don't order the most expensive thing on the menu. Why? Because there's six of us, you know? At the end of the day, uh, that Happy Meal uh, is, is uh, affordable, you know? But at some level, when you get into the, the big meals, and, and we have kids that are too big now for the Happy Meal. The Happy Meal doesn't make them happy. And, and the moment that that starts happening, you know, your bill has just doubled. And then they start adding on extra things. And, you know, you're, I love it when you're sitting there in a, a nice steakhouse. Would you like to add shrimp to that? No, we would not. I'm paying the bill. You know, if you want to pay for your own food, you can add shrimp and lobster. But I'm not paying for all. But the reality is, is there's no common sense. There's no thought about the future. It's instant gratification. Prodigals become all about themselves. You see, the rest of the story is pivotal here in Luke chapter 15. It says in verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the, the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Can I just say, when there's a period of time when we have a, a prodigal or someone who's gone far away from God, sometimes they have to get so far before they go understand and, and come to their senses. But don't underestimate the power of God in getting a hold of someone's heart. When the word of God tells us that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord, it's not talking about uh, necessarily a born again Christian it's saying the king, the wicked kings of Israel oftentimes were so far from God and yet God could control every move that they made. He has the power to turn someone's heart back towards home. God's working. So mom and dad, don't give up. Don't give up when things are, are challenging and difficult, uh, but be encouraged knowing that God has a purpose and a plan. How do we reach our prodigals? This morning, it begins with unwavering prayer. Unwavering prayer. It begins with on our knees, 
calling out to God, saying, God, I can't do anything physically, but God, I know you're all powerful. God, I know you're able to turn their hearts back towards God. And I love how Paul expresses it in Colossians chapter one. He says, so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Parents, write that passage down because this is a, a prayer to be praying daily for a prodigal without ceasing, praying daily that God would get a hold of their hearts, that they would walk in a manner pleasing to God and worthy of all pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work. Sometimes I hear a parent that talks about a child who's gone astray and they're like, Pastor, we're in a situation where they won't listen to anything. And they said, Pastor, we've tried everything. We've tried a counselor. We've, we've grounded them. We've taken their car keys away. We've taken their phone away. We've, we've done all of these things. And I guess the only thing we have left is prayer. Seriously? That's all you've got left? What about that's all we can do? Because that's the only thing that really matters in light of eternity is we can go before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and help in our time of need, folks. Can you imagine what that sounds like to an all-powerful, loving, heavenly Father when we say, I guess all we can do is pray? Think about it. How insulting it must be to God for us to say, well, we've tried everything else we know to do. What if we went to God in prayer first and said, God, I, have, I admit I don't have the answers. I don't have the, the, I don't know what to do. I'm out of options. But God, I do trust you. I do believe you. I do believe you love my child, my son or my daughter, and you have their best interest at heart. And God, I'm going to believe in faith and praying in faith that you can restore that relationship and bring them back home into the fold. Bring them back into a right relationship with God. Aren't you thankful that God, in spite of our limited uh, abilities, there's no limit to what he can do in changing their heart? Can I get a witness this morning? Am I, is anyone else believe, tracking with me? Because the reality is, is there are lots of people across our church and across our city this morning who have kids who've gone far from God, and yet they need to know that there's power in prayer, that the people can go to God in prayer. And what do you pray? If you have a prodigal, why not pray that God would surround them with just the right influences, just the right people? You say, Pastor, you know what? They're not going to the right places to meet the right people. That might be the case. But God can give them a boss that's a born-again child. Stevens told me, he said, I've had some people on my staff, and they're running from God. And he says, God's put them there. And he says, man, I would have probably fired them a long time ago. But he says, I'm trying to point them in the right direction. And, and I'm and trying to encourage them to get on the right path and to give God first in their life. You know what? God can put you or someone just like you in their path. And mom and dad, most likely it's not going to be you that's going to reach out, reach them. They don't want to hear from us. 
I, I'll be, I love my kids, but my, my oldest two don't want to, they don't want to listen to me at this point. They don't, they're like, Dad, you're old-fashioned. I mean, I mean, the, and I'll be honest, there's days I'm starting to feel like my dad. I mean, anybody else ever feel like that? And you're like, oh, no, we have turned a corner. I mean, I'm sounding just like my dad or just like my mom. And, you know, I, I, it's what I never said. <laughs> never would do those things. And, and But suddenly now you're just... You know, you, it's kind of like a badge of honor. You're like, man, I've arrived. My kids hate me. You know, I've arrived. I mean, I, I'm at that point where they won't listen to anything I say. You know what? The, the tables will turn again. At some point, it might be 25. It might be 30. It might be 40. But they're going to realize mom and dad had so much more wisdom. In fact, at 21 years old, they, they don't think you know a single, you're the most clueless person on the planet, but yet at the, at the end of the day, God has a purpose, and he can put the right people around them, co-workers, friends, family members, whatever it may be. Our first line of attack ought to be prayer, not some little cute Sunday school prayer or prayer before a meal, but getting a hold of the throne of God pray, praying that God will radically transform their lives. Pray that they will get caught when they're guilty. That, oh, pastor, I don't want my child going to jail. Maybe that's exactly where they need to be if they won't listen to authority. Pray that they get caught and they have to repeat their grade in school because you know what it might be that year, it's at a turning point in their life to do, turn them in the right direction. Pray that they get caught stealing. You say, oh, Pastor, I don't want my child to get arrested. But you know what? Maybe that's the moment that they understand there is a higher power. There is uh, someone I have, I have to answer to, and it gets their attention in a way. Pray that God would do whatever it takes to bring them back in a right relationship with God. You say, Pastor, that's pretty scary. It's probably the scariest prayer any of us will ever pray. God, do whatever it takes. The reality this morning is sometimes it is in the pit. Sometimes it's in prison. Sometimes it's on a hospital bed looking up as the first time we'll acknowledge our need of God. But folks, if that's what it takes, my dad has said many times, I'd rather you live on the far side of the world, as far away from me as possible, in the center of God's will than living next door, making a mockery of God and everything we've taught you. There's a lot of wisdom in that. I'd rather my kids be on the right path and, and, and live in Afghanistan, but be on the right path, live in China, but be on the right path than to be next door and to be literally living so far from God and having said, because the reality is, is God says, Get on your knees in prayer. Call out to God in prayer and, and, and get to the bottom of it. Secondly, live with unending patience. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we'll reap if we don't do what? We don't give up. So what's he saying? He says there's, a, there's something to that ceaseless prayer, continuing prayer, but he says live with unending patience. There's something to giving God room to work in our kids' lives. Because oftentimes as parents, 
especially in those early days, we like to control the situation. So we'll control all of the environments. Well, if I give them certain parameters, they have to do things my way. But they get to be an adult. You know what? They're going to go as far from that as they possibly can. So now we've got to learn, have patience that God is working even in ways that we can't imagine, in ways that we can't conceive. Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us don't grow weary of doing good. He says, in due season, in other words, there may be a period of time where we don't always see God at work. He's still working on your child and my child. He's still working in their lives. He's still giving them direction and, and, and pointing them towards the right direction. The prodigal's father, when his son came home, in Luke 15, verse 20, he says, He arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What is this, what's this telling us here? It indicates perhaps maybe every day the father would go out to the edge of his property. Maybe he'd go to the edge of town and maybe he got those binoculars out and he's looking. It's today the day he's going to come home. It's today the day he's going to return. Is this the day they're going to come to their senses and, and come back home? The father never gave up. And folks, neither should you and I. Don't give up because God's not done working on them. And, and sometimes we like to control the situation. Like, you know what? You're not a son of mine. We're going to disown you. I'm going to take you out of the world. You know what? That could possibly ruin any opportunity of future involvement or relationship with them. And instead, why not pray for them and wait patiently for God to do his perfect work? He's not done working on me. And I guarantee you he's not done working on any of you. So let's let God have room to work in the lives of our kids. The Bible is filled with comeback stories of people who've gone their own way and God would bring them back home. If, if God can bring the prodigal son home, I promise you, he can bring your child back home. He can bring them back into the fold. And think about what God can do with your child. Don't give up. Pray and wait patiently. And then you know what? Live with an unconditional love. Live ultimately with an unconditional love. It's one of the most touching stories of Scripture. In verse 20, he says, As he arose, he came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him, and kissed him. Here's a son who didn't deserve it. In fact, we, we know the, the other son is jealous and gets angry and wouldn't even go in the house and it had nothing to do with it. But ultimately here, it's because of his love, his prayers, his faithfulness. Ultimately, his son comes home and, and the father says, get the big, the, the, that big calf. We've been waiting. We've been holding him for till the, the big occasion. Kill the fatted calf. We're having steak tonight. In fact, let's get the, uh, the, the, the uh, shrimp on the barbecue as well. Let's add the, the lobster in there. We're, we're going to spend the big bucks tonight because my son has come home. Get the best robe. Put it over his filthy body that smells like pigs because he's my son. Get the biggest ring and put it on his finger. My son, who once was blind, has now seen. He's come back home. He's been made alive. The father was so 
compassionate of his son coming home. Say, Pastor, what's the application? Maybe you don't know the story, the moral behind Jesus' story here is that God is the heavenly father. Folks, you and I are the prodigal. We're the runaway. Sometimes people miss that completely in this story is God is the father. We're the ones who have run away, who've gone astray. We've missed that entirely. We are the ones in our own hearts who've run away and sinned and done things our own way. In fact, the Word of God says, every one of us have turned his own way. Every single one of us have gone astray. We're the prodigal. We're the self-centered ones. We're the know-it-alls. We're the ones who want immediate gratification. Folks, that is you and me. Look in the mirror. These are the ones, we are the ones that Christ loved so much that he died on the cross to save. God is the one that when we simply turn toward him and run, he runs towards us. He embraces us. And I want you to hear this morning, the word of God tells us in Isaiah 30 verse 18, the Lord still waits. Thankful for that this morning. In our sin, in our failures, as we've run away from God and His purpose and His plan, God is still waiting for each one of us. There's hope this morning. There's help. Folks, there's power in the name of Jesus. And right now at this very moment, he's waiting. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for you to come to him so he can show you his love, his compassion. God is faithful. You know, guess what? His arms are open wide and he's waiting for you to come home. Maybe you have a, a child who's run away from God and they've run away from the things that you've taught them know that there's power in prayer that's not a last resort that is our only option this morning God is the only one who can turn their heart back around and I want to encourage you don't give up hope this morning continue on loving them praying for them seeking to continue relationship and you know the reality is sometimes you say well pastor I just, I, I can't take that tough love approach. Give God time to work in their life. So often we want to control and manipulate the circumstances and situation, but we understand God has a, has a power to transform even the most hardest of hearts. And he can turn our child's heart back to him. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning you would speak to hearts where there may be some in the building this morning that are running from you. Maybe they think, I know much better than my parents. I know much better than, than God. And I have all these plans and things I want to do in my life. God, I pray that you would redirect their heart back toward you. And God, I pray that you'd give them a desire to live for you. 
to know that you love them and you have a purpose for their life, you have a plan. And if they'll turn back to you, you will receive them with open arms. And God, you'll forgive them. You'll radically transform them. The relationship will be restored. God, I pray for the parent that may be here this morning who's heartbroken over a child who's gone away, who's become the prodigal. God, help them not to give up hope this morning, but to know that, God, you are still on your throne. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of your child. And Lord, if, if we'll trust in you and, and wait patiently, love them unconditionally, God, we can see you do a mighty work in their life. And God, help us not to lose hope or give up because you're not done with them. And Lord, as Proverbs 22, 6 says, when they're old, they'll not depart. God, I pray that we'd have the privilege of seeing their hearts restored and Lord, their relationship restored with mom and dad and with their heavenly father. God, would you do a mighty work in their hearts and lives? Help us not to lose hope. Help us not to grow weary in well-doing. God, help us to trust and wait patiently. God, we love you. We praise you. We believe that you can. God, I pray right now you would do a mighty work in the hearts of the prodigals that are represented here in this room. God, I pray that you would use some instance, some circumstance in their life this week. It would cause them to think about eternity. It would cause them to think about their relationship with you and how much you love them. God, they would get right, come home. God, I pray that restoration and healing could take place. God, I pray you'd give their families the grace and the strength they need this time. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor David, I have a prodigal. I need some encouragement. I need some prayer. You were, as you were up there preaching and talking this morning, we're living that every single day. And I just say, God knows that. And he knows exactly where your child is at this very moment. And what it's going to take to reach them and to get to the heart of the matter. Maybe you hear this person say, Pastor David, would you pray? I've got, a, I've got a loved one. I've got a family member who's a prodigal right now, and I need some prayer. I need some encouragement. Would you lift your hand up? No one else is looking around and say, Pastor, would you pray for my family? We're, we're, we're living through this. I see those hands all across the building this morning. People are saying, Pastor, pray for me. I've got a prodigal. Thank you. I see those hands. I appreciate your honesty. Someone else said, Pastor David, pray. I have a prodigal in my life, a, a loved one or a family member or a friend. Would you pray for them right now? God, I lift up each person, each family that's represented that acknowledge this morning that they're living in this very moment. God, help them not to lose hope. Lord, your word tells us in James that where two or three are gathered in your name, you're in the midst. And God, we lift up these young people, these adults this morning. God, we ask that you would be exalted in their life. God, would you get a hold of their heart? Lord, 
I believe most of these, if not all, have heard the truth of the gospel. Maybe many of them have received Christ, but they've run far from God. God, would you get a hold of their heart this morning and restore that relationship with you? God, put the right people in their path this week, a, a, a boss, a coworker, a family member, a friend, a neighbor who would point them towards the Savior this week. And God, may we see restoration take place in each of these stories. God, I pray you would encourage these moms and dads and loved ones not to give up, but God, give them the grace they need to deal with the very moment in which they're living. God, we know you're on the throne. God, we know you're holy. God, we know you're all-powerful and there's nothing that's too difficult for you. God, I pray you would do a mighty work. We give you all the glory, all the glory. Let's stand our feet.